Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Greg. My guests today are Mr. and Mrs. James Neal Anderson, Jr., a.k.a. Jamie and Elizabeth, a power couple with deep roots in Arkansas. There are not many businesses that last past the second generation, and certainly not the third, but Anderson Farms, a fish farm, and Farmers Bank and Trust in Magnolia are the exception. Founded in 1949 by his great-grandfather, Jamie Anderson becomes the fourth generation to run their fish farm made of 3,300 acres of water with 11,000 square foot fish hatchery, thus making them the largest producer of bait fish in the world. Did you hear that? The world. Elizabeth Burns Anderson is the fifth generation to run her family business, Farmers Bank and Trust, founded over 100 years ago by her great-great-grandfather. And did I mention in 2019 this power couple, parents and children were all voted Farm Family of the Year. This speaks to their responsible dedication to their agriculture and their business practices and to the devotion and time spent in their community and with their children. It is my pleasure to welcome to the table the unique couple whose talents and careers complement each other, fish farmer Jamie Anderson and his wife, the senior vice president of Farmers Bank and Trust and executive director of the Farmers Bank Foundation, Elizabeth Burns Anderson. Wow, guy. What do y'all talk about at dinner? <laughs> fish homework. homework. <laughs> That's probably very true. Well, you two like go together like two peas in a pod y'all are like made in heaven jamie you're a fourth generation fish farmer you're on the job in the field i guess he's shaking his head it's radio jamie you can't shake your head yes yes and elizabeth is a fifth generation banker and the vp of farmers bank and trust this is like a business relationship made in heaven tell me how the two of you met well, we actually, um, our families go back generations. Our grandfathers campaigned for Governor Faubus years ago together. And so in a roundabout way, our grandfathers knew each other on the campaign trail. But Jamie and I met at the University of Arkansas. Uh, we were both attending college there at the same time and had lots of unique friends and just kind of came together years later. So. Years later. Not in college? Not in college. Not in college. We met later on just through um, his sister and I were sorority sisters, and we had lots of mutual friends. So you both graduated from the University of Arkansas? Yes. And neither one of y'all got married to anybody that you met there? No. And then you both met each other again and got married? Yes. Right. Correct. Mom's had a theme of the last few shows where she keeps saying you just go to college to find a get your MRS degree or whatever. What's MRS now? Oh, Mrs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. I go to college, get married. She would not have liked me in college. Yeah. <laughs> we, we would not have made a good Did couple. you pledge something? Like, I did. Like Kappa Sig or I something terrible? And, oh, and, uh, that's just about as bad. <laughs> by the time we started dating, I think I'd grown up enough. You'd already been to AA? <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. good. Yeah, you probably I, wouldn't have liked it. I think the people you meet in college, um, some people build relationships you know that they married people in college but i needed some years to grow up and mature and um, we were totally different people at 25 than we were at 30 and we both married when we were in our 30s and had children so um, 30s that's late but not today it's really not not. in my days it was it was it was pretty late but no you're right it's not it's not dated for three years so you know we both were kind of set in our careers and set in where we wanted to live and and so, you know, I think that helped a lot. You both majored in careers, in, in, in subjects that went with your family career. You went into ag, right? Ag business was mm-hmm. my degree. And yeah. you, you majored in that. And you majored in? Finance. Yeah. So mm-hmm. did you know you were going to go in the family business? No, actually, I wanted to be a school teacher. So, um, but I got a degree in finance, and then I was going to get a master's degree in education. But then I was done with school, and I wanted to live in Little Rock and work and so it just, I've worked at other banks before I came back to the family bank. So I've worked at several different banks around the state. 
but um, I was always home with Farmers Bank. Did you, hello, how, when did you have that revelation like, okay, I might as well go back to the family bank? After I had children and... Um, oh, late. Mm-hmm, I have worked on and off for the family bank most of my life. I mean, my very first job was shredding paper in a closet at the bank. Uh, and um, I've been a teller. I've worked, run a proof machine, which I don't even have anymore. Um, What's so a proof machine? That's where they used to put the image on the check when they etched the bottom of the check. Oh, you would mm-hmm. drop it. I mean, they don't even do that anymore. Now they just take a picture of the check, and mm-hmm. uh, that's how they image it. But I've done everything at the bank through the years and worked at other banks um, in Little Rock and outside of Little Rock and Northwest Arkansas. And uh, But once I had kids and I knew it was time to be a part of the family bank again. So, Jamie, did you go, did you, did you go straight out of college? into? I, I did. I uh, started working on the farm when I was 12 because that's what my dad did, air quotes. Um, so, but you know, for good reason, I learned it later in life, exactly why I started early. Um, you don't learn it overnight, but, uh, but no, in later in high school, of course, my dad asked, Hey, what, what are you thinking? Cause he needed to make a plan. And then freshman year of college, same thing. And then about junior year, he's like, okay, I need to know for sure. Um, his dad was still in the business, but getting older, he was in his eighties and, and, uh, so there were just there were some turning points with technology and all in in our industry and and we wanted he wanted to make those leaps but he just needed somebody to to uh, put in charge of it and and somebody that he knew was going to do it the way he would and and so he said you know my junior year he said are you coming back I said yes he said okay well our first order of business is we're going to start building a hatchery figure out how to make that work and then some other things so so as soon as I graduated. Um, a little bit early from college, so in December I, I came back and immediately started building a building and a hatchery, and that was my first job. Um, so the hatchery's new, sort of. Um, and we built it in '99. I'd like to think that was new, but that was over 20 <laughs> seems, years ago. <laughs> really, seems like just the other day. It does, it does but but so yes, I, I always knew I was coming back. I really didn't want to do anything else. That's all I'd ever done, and I loved it. And and once you're ingrained in it, it's it's hard to let it go. Um, does it stink oh it smells like fish absolutely <laughs> but uh does she make you put your clothes outside in the garage before you come in yes sometimes uh, <laughs> along with the kids the, the kids come in dirty and nasty every day too but did the neighbors hate you out there well uh, we actually just got new neighbors before that we were all by ourselves out in the middle of the pasture <laughs> but my parents and my sister have recently built next to us well they're used uh, to so, it oh yeah they're, when they're they smell it, it they smell the, that's the smell of money to them <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, it's uh, uh, our neighbors, they do not hate us for it. They're used to it. Fish, they probably all work for you. Uh, well, my dad does. My sister is actually a lawyer in, uh, here in Little Rock, and uh, so, so she's not in the but family. But any even neighbors that are maybe downwind probably oh, all work for you. Oh, yes, our closest neighbors all work for us. Mm-hmm. Fish or finance. That's a kind of good <laughs> slogan for them. We need to make bumper stickers. Fish, yeah. or, fish yeah. and finance. Fish and finance. Fish and finance. Well, well it's like his... His smell of fish is the smell of money. Yeah. My smell of money is the smell of money. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we're going to dig into Elizabeth's family folklore, and we're going to dig into Jamie's family folklore. Elizabeth Burns Anderson, a fifth-generation banker, and Jamie Anderson, an aunt from Anderson Farms, the largest bait fish farm in the world. We'll be right back. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she embraced the Internet and rebranded her company as simply FlagAndBanner.com. In 2004, she became an early blogger, since then, she has founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, began publishing her magazine, Brave, and in 2016 branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcast. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years, and more recently opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida. Telling American-made stories... Selling American-made flags. The 
flagandbanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. <laughs> You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with the dynamic farm couple, Jamie and Elizabeth Anderson. Jamie, a fourth-generation owner of Anderson's Farm, a fish farm in Lone Oak, Arkansas, and his wife, Elizabeth, a fifth-generation banker and VP of Farmers Bank and Trust. Okay, Elizabeth, Burns, Anderson, fifth-generation banker, native magnolia. Talk about growing up in the family bank. Uh, well, the family bank is 115 years old, and it was founded by both of my great-great-grandfathers. Um, when I was young, my great-grandfather was president of the bank, and then my dad was CEO for 40-plus years, and he just retired. And my brother-in-law is now the CEO, who's married to my sister, and so and he does a fabulous job at taking on the family tradition. And, you know, we're very proud of our bank. Um, celebrating 115 years of service to the communities that we serve. Um, We were founded to help the farmers um, in Columbia County and the entrepreneurs to start businesses. And we try to encompass that into our our business today. Um, We founded the Farmers Bank Foundation this past year on our 115th anniversary celebration. And the purpose of the Farmers Bank Foundation is to enrich the communities where we serve. We have branches as far north as Paris, Arkansas, and they go all the way to Prosper, Texas, which is north of Dallas. So we have a little over 30 branches. Um, We are a $2.4 billion bank, so we're always in the top six to seven banks in the state, um, Arkansas banks that are in the state. And we're very proud of that. And by creating a foundation, which, which I spearheaded, we are allowed to encompass our corporate giving and make a bigger impact in the communities we serve. Um, Farmers Bank is is based on community giving, and we like to support not only our customers but our employees because when you have 115 years of service, successful service to your communities, you have to owe that to your employees. And so by enriching the communities, by offering support, to nonprofits and support to education, healthcare workers, and things like that within our communities, supporting the first responders. We are allowed to engage in those communities and 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 create a legacy for our bank and enrich those communities where our customers and our employees live. Banks are so important to a to a community. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the solution for uh, underdeveloped and poverty neighborhoods? Because Banks are also in the business of making money. I mean, like everybody is, they can't survive if they don't. So one of the reasons, uh, one of the ways we could build up neighborhoods, poverty neighborhoods and underdeveloped neighborhoods is by putting a bank there. But no bank wants to go into a neighborhood that doesn't have any money or that has high crime. They don't want to put their employees at risk. I mean, how do you solve that? Do you talk about that at your bank? We do. All banks are required to do what they call a community reinvestment act cra lending or cnr cra giving back and so we go into low poverty schools where they have free and reduced lunches and talk about you know opening the importance of having savings and the importance of how to manage your funds and things like that so speaking to children at a young age and also just reaching out in those underdeveloped areas in each community by offering volunteer or teaching community classes on retirement or savings or things like that is a great way for us to give back to those areas. But you don't get to know your bankers. I mean, one of the reasons I'm successful is I got to know my banker. Right, exactly. I mean, I don't even know, you know, Kirk Dixon, I still remember his name. He took a chance on me, gave me a signature loan back when you could get signature loans, and, um, you know, started me on my career path. I'm not sure that I, as a banker, would go to a community that's suffering and a girl came and said, I want her to open a hair salon or a bakery. Will you give me $20,000 on a signature loan? I'm not sure that happens today or could even happen today or should really. I don't know how to, I don't know how to change that. Right. And, and it does happen. You just have to build those relationships and understand their planning and their, you know, their, they're giving so and we hope to build those relationships in all the communities that we serve you know farmers bank um it's been our name for 115 mm-hmm. years and it was founded because when my great-grandfathers got together they wanted to help the farmers mm-hmm. and 
And so in many meetings over the past 115 years, it's been discussed, should we change it? Should, should we make it more marketable? But you know what? No, because that's Mm-mm. what we're, we are. We were founded for farmers and we still support farmers today. Um, and we also support the core of every community and every community was initially founded by farmers. So it's mm-hmm. important to maintain who you are and where you come from. That's interesting. Our, every community was founded by farmers. That's oh, really true. Our history. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Is that what the heart seems to be in all your advertising yes. and your logo? Is that yes. what that means? Yes. Our heart stands for, um, and you'll probably catch me because it is honor, excellence, adaptability, respect, and teamwork. Oh, a lot that, of thought went get into it. it. Good job. Yeah. yeah. I followed um, along. <laughs> yeah. So it is. And we, we display that heart with just not only our customers, but our employees. We do a lot of team building. We do a lot of fun activities within our branches, um, competitive activities. Um, and it's a fun place to work. I've worked at, like I said earlier, I worked at many other banks and I always find my way back home because it, it is a, it is one of the best places to work. What's the Blue Heart Fund? So the Blue Heart Fund is for our employees, and the Blue Heart Fund is a public fund It's that is run by the Farmers Bank Foundation, and that's a way for our employees to give to each other. So if we have an employee that is diagnosed with cancer or has a house fire, we can do fundraisers and support each other through the Blue Heart Fund. Right. Banking has changed so much. How do you see banking in the future? Well, I see a lot of banks going more digital and working at teaching technology. I myself... I mean, I I work in a branch, but if I need to make a deposit, I just take a picture of it and submit it on the app. But I think to be successful, you're still going to have to build those relationships and you're still going to have to work really hard at making people know their banker and know that they're there to support that community. You know, branch branch banks are closing everywhere. Absolutely. I even got an email the other day that says our branch bank will be closed because we don't have enough employees right now. Right. And a lot of larger banks are going to that they want you to use their app they don't want you to come in they don't they want you to call and wait on their call center and they want you to send your questions by email but we really want to still engage with our customers and create a bond and create relationships with them it's, it's important it's really important absolutely uh, um this is a great place to take a break when we come back we'll continue our conversation 2019 farm family of the year jamie anderson of anderson's fish farm and his wife Elizabeth Burns Anderson, a legacy banker at Farmers Bank and Trust in Magnolia. More fish and farm talk after the break. Flagandbanner.com, a resource for all questions about flag etiquette. Learn how American flags should be handled and displayed. How about boating flag etiquette? Learn the traditions and the etiquette for both boats and yachts. There's a calendar of events on holidays that are coming up that you can proudly fly a flag. And what do the different ways of folding a flag actually mean? Along with these handy tips, there's letter visibility charts, there's standard flag size documents, there's custom flag comparison charts. It's a real resource for displaying old glory. Please visit flagandbanner.com. All UIYB past and present interviews are available at Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's YouTube channel, Facebook page, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette's digital version flagandbanner.com's website, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with the Andersons, a farm family with deep roots in Arkansas. Jamie, a fourth-generation owner of Andersons Farm, a fish farm in Lone Oak, Arkansas, and his wife, Elizabeth, a fifth-generation banker and VP of Farmers Bank and Trust founded in Magnolia, Arkansas, and now the branch, bank, branch banks in Texas and Oklahoma. Let's talk about your family. All right. How did your grandfather come to own the land near Lone Oak, and how did he decide on fish bait as his product to farm? Well, after he um, got out of the military, he was uh, trained bomber pilots in, at the Blyville Air Force Base during the war, and um, he and his brothers, they were in Yazoo City, Mississippi, um, and they were running bait routes with wild-caught bait, which was before we domestically raised bait. That's how it was all caught. So they're running routes all the way over to Lone Oak, Arkansas. They're hauling fish from Mississippi in, in trucks all the way as far as Lone Oak, Arkansas. And so he got to know the gentleman that owned the property across the road from our current headquarters. Well, that gentleman was catching wild bait out of Biomeda, which is a drainage canal that goes through our property. And they were just really tough and hardy. And 
And so my granddad didn't quite understand, you know, what it was making these fish better than the ones he was bringing from Mississippi. So um, he didn't know if his soil, water, really what it was. But anyway, he went across the road, and there was an 80-acre rice farm there, um, and a lady and a gentleman that owned it, and uh, 800 acres behind it that was all timber. And he just offered him money and bought it. Uh, So he started building fish ponds and catching fish wild and stocking those in those ponds and then breeding those and so on down the line. And then just it's um it kinda took off and as it grew and grew he bought more land, build more ponds, uh, set up distributions, you know, all over the country. Um and you know, at that time there and even now you still kinda have to invent the equipment you use. And the the aquaculture industry across the country is it's very diverse. Uh, we're talking everything from salmon and trout and lobster all the way to oysters and minnows and goldfish. And so the equipment you use, you have to physically build it. So, so you know, back in the late 40s, early 50s, he's designing trucks and boxes and air systems and uh, containment systems for sheds, um, how to, you know, deliver oxygen to fish in sheds. So, you know, there's a whole lot more to it uh, than just putting fish in a pond or putting fish in a truck and, and going to sell them. Uh, but he uh, he kind of helped neighbors get in the business because he w- if they had land, he would build ponds on their land, stock it with fish, and buy them back. Um, so that's kind of how Lone Oak County became the the freshwater fin fish capital of, of the nation. Um, Lone Oak County is number one in bait fish, number one in goldfish, or number one in uh, largemouth bass production, hybrid striped bass production. Um, so it's... You know, that's kind of how it all started. And we had uh, Joe Hogan's state fish hatchery was right there in Lone Oak, and it was built in the 40s also. Uh, so it just kind of became the center for, for freshwater uh, aquaculture. There. So how many businesses are down there in Lone Oak that are in the aquaculture? Currently, I'm going to say uh, Lone Oak County probably has a dozen. Really? Um, that range anywhere from bait fish to goldfish to game fish. Um, and then tilapia is it raised there no we don't raise any tilapia in arkansas it's uh temperature wise tilapia don't do real well in arkansas our winters are too cold do you cold. eat tilapia i have uh, it's what's not your favorite my... fish to eat oh gosh certainly crappie catfish is a close second but then i differentiate between freshwater and saltwater i love saltwater fish also but uh, but no crappie and catfish for sure what's the difference between wild salmon and farm salmon because farm salmon's got some bad wraps well, the people who want to shut it down deliver the bad rap, you know, media-wise. But farm-raised salmon is just as safe, 100%, as a wild-caught There's salmon. something about the omegas, though. The good omega well, that's in the wild-caught is not in the... Well, it depends on who you ask. A lot of the farm-raised salmon is raised in net pens in bays and estuaries, and environmentalists want to shut that down, so the only way to do that is to kill the market for it. Why? Why do they want to shut that down? They don't like it. Why? Very, no, a very small percentage of the farm-raised salmon comes from the United States. Uh, but the thing is, regulation-wise, it's easier to raise it off the coast in bays and estuaries in another country than it is the United States because you don't have rules and regulations fighting against you constantly. So it seems like people would like farm-raised well, I want to know what I'm eating. I want to know that it's safe. And if it's grown here, it's much safer than coming from a foreign country, Vietnam um, mm-hmm. or Chile or a lot of the countries that raise our seafood. Let's go back to your great-great-grandfather yes. or your great-grandfather who bought the land across the street from Biomedo. Did his friend now get mad at him for going into competition? Oh, no. They actually weren't really competition at the time. One was raising goldfish and one was raising golden shiners. Um, so really, it wasn't a competition issue, and and the market was growing fast enough mm-hmm. that no, we couldn't grow enough anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, your Lonox a perfect example of how like businesses that group together do right. better. It's like Restaurant Row does better right. if it's together. It's like retail stores do better if they're together. Well, and as a small industry, we depend on each other's cooperation. You probably uh, call your neighbor and say, "Hey, I'm out of feed. Can I borrow some of yours?" Oh, sure. I mean. <laughs> You know, we do that all the time. We're a small industry. We all know each other, a lot of us family. Um, so we really depend on each other. A lot of the state and national issues we deal with, we, we have to band together and deal with them. Oh, I bet. Um, you know, because it's all about numbers when it gets to the federal level. So I'm imagining your grandfather buys this land, which sounds so exciting, and then he and then he cuts down the timber because you said it was timber. Right. And he sells that timber. 
right. and where he cut it down he digs a hole and then right. he starts fishing in his boat every day and throwing <laughs> well, fish in that in water flat hole. land you don't build a hole you build levees to contain the water oh yeah sure <laughs> so but we're you, you on just the, start with the low spot though, right we're think. on the edge of the delta so it's flat uh, but that works well for us um, but yes he starts building ponds and over time the ponds have gone from large 80 acre ponds down to anywhere from a half acre to 10 acres just because they're easier to manage so today we've got 334 ponds um over you know, 3,300 acres. Y'all got mosquitoes? Lots of mosquitoes. Oh. Do you ever go there, Elizabeth? <laughs> I do often. Oh, I was going to say, I try We live on go. the farm, so. Yeah. It's you <laughs> live on the farm? We do. We do. But, you know, uh, mosquitoes are part of the life, and you learn to, to deal with them. We spray for them. We wear bug spray. It's and, Arkansas. They're yeah. everywhere. It's Arkansas. Yeah. No, you, no, no. It's not those mosquitoes. <laughs> no, it's just the population. Mosquitoes. <laughs> she makes it different. <laughs> you don't go out at night. I do because I sit at the ballpark with my kids and um, my kids. Are, oh, we just, you, I mean, if you, you see get used us, to it's the Delta. Delta. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we if we're to. out at night in July or June or even August, we're pants and long sleeves because you know you're going to get eaten otherwise. So, and they love the light. I mean, if you get in your yeah. car, you open the car door and get in, you might as well just forget it. There, there's more. There's more mosquitoes in the car than right humans. I mean, mask ha- farming question. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So your grandfather, this I don't I, the word that you're using a biomeda. Yes, biomeda is one of the drainage systems here in Arkansas. Um, uh-huh. Okay, so he's fishing. He was getting fish out of a drainage system. Correct. So yes. he just fished some wild fish out of a drainage system mm-hmm. and put them in a pond right. and started selecting. Right, started spawning. That is stuff. crazy. Yep. Just just out of a stream. Well, and then you just, you know, just like that salmon farm. Their, I know. Their yeah, salmon right. came from the wild. And, and now they and, ship them yeah, in yeah. a FedEx box overnight. Yeah, right. Well, that's how, <laughs> yeah. That's just so, nuts to me. But, yeah, I mean, every animal came from the wild at some Well, point, sure, yeah. But, but I just think even. So, if theoretically, our brood stock still has the same genetics as whatever you know, he fished out of that years ago. drain. Oh, that's so cool, though. But, I, I, think I mean, don't they, does, is interbreeding doesn't weaken them? Oh, Mother Nature takes care of that. When you've got something on the bottom of the food chain that deals with thousands of offspring or tens of thousands of offspring, they're genetically diverse enough that the likelihood of mother and son breeding is not very good. But if they do, it's still going to be a viable offspring. Um, Just like, you know, cattle. Cattle are bred back. Dogs are bred back. Uh, Horses are bred back. is Is cattle considered farming? Yes. Um, yes. So that's why fish is considered farming. Right. Agriculture and aquaculture are one and the same. Agriculture, you're going to grow something in soil. Aquaculture, you're growing it in water. What's your biggest fish that you sell the most of? What's your biggest product? Golden Shiner is our, the What's the a Golden Shiner? The Golden Shiner is one of the native bait fish um, around the big part of the country. Of course, there's Golden Shiner, Silver Shiners, and multiple versions, just like a lab and a poodle and a uh, cockatoo or whatever <laughs> that may be a bird um but uh but yes the golden shiner is native to arkansas uh and it's native to most of the states in the country so so therefore it's legal to ship across the country so because it's native and because it's easy to grow and it likes the climate then that's definitely the bulk of our sales um, and so if you go into the average bait shop anywhere in the u.s nine out of ten of them are going to be carrying golden shiners or or, uh, What's the difference between a goldfish and a koi? Goldfish and koi, they're just a close cousin. They're both in the carp family. They're just, like I say, the difference between a standard poodle and a miniature poodle. or a, mm-hmm. You know, just you sell on your website Golden Shiners, which you said are your best sellers. Yes. Fatheads. Fatheads, which is it's a, it's a northern fish that was brought down to the south decades ago um, by not only the the pond stocking industry but also the bait industry um so we started growing it back in i'm going to say the probably the 60s um but it, it's it was more northern like the great lake states all that's where the bulk of the fatheads originated now they're all over the country and they're just little bitty just fish, small just fish yes bitty minnow like fish. right so they're in lakes and rivers and streams as as forage well forage the fish. prettiest one on your website is the pink minnow yes it is basically an albino <laughs> fathead. So they are selected. The light color is selected in the broodstock. Uh, so every spring when we get our broodstock ready for the pink minnow, we if there's any that have reverted back, uh, that recessive gene has gone back to black, 
we picked that out so that the odds are going to be that they're all going to be pink. What's a sardine? Sardine is just uh, a saltwater fish that kind of like a anchovy or a menhaden uh-huh. or. They all uh, look. They look like minnows to me. Right. That shows how much I know about it. <laughs> it's an ocean fish that is like a, like a minnow. It's on the bottom of the food chain. But you did invent your own breed. Didn't invent the own breed. We we selectively bred for traits uh, to create the black salty, which is, to my knowledge, still the only patented trademark bait fish in in the world. To my knowledge, saltwater. Yes. What we did was we bred it to withstand saltwater um, up long enough to be used for bait. So it lives and breeds in fresh water on the farm, uh, but it can be sold as a saltwater bait. Uh, but it will not live in full-strength saltwater and be viable. Is there uh, any other fish like that? Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. Clever. Uh, you know, the, the hard part about the bait industry, especially when it comes to marketing and branding, is all of our products look the same. You go to any bait shop in the country, you can't tell if that's my minnow or my neighbor's minnow. Well, with the black salty, for the first time in history, we were able to differentiate between our customer and somebody else's. So we could actually say, hey, if you want the black salty, um, we want you as a customer. You can use that to promote Anderson Minnow Farms and Anderson Minnow Farms Fish. Uh, Otherwise, you can't tell the difference between my minnow and somebody else's. Why does somebody in Arkansas want a black salty? Uh, actually, we're selling more in freshwater now we are in, are in saltwater because saltwater wow. fishermen were bringing it back and striper fishing with it, largemouth bass fishing, cat fishing with it. It's just an extremely tough fish uh, that can do anything. Uh, it lives very, very well, very hardy. So, you know, once they started doing that, we're selling more for cat fishing and striper fishing than we are in saltwater now. So does different fish like different, I know that at least this much about fishing, different fish like to eat different fish? Not necessarily. Big um, eats little. You know, that's a, ba- it. a bass eats a small bass. A crappie eats a small crappie, but it will also eat a shiner, a goldfish, a So why do you head. need all these different kinds? A lot of it is uh, fisherman preference. And if, um, it, if lot, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Well, a lot of it's also there are certain states that we cannot sell a shiner in. Certain states we may not can sell a fathead in. Why? So, because their game of fish or DNR has determined it to be a non-native fish or something like that. Like, you get out in the western states, take Colorado. You can sell a shiner on the eastern slope, a fathead on the western slope, and maybe one or the other above a certain altitude. In a, you know, so it's they're just extremely specific. So you have to really know the rules and regs, not only if you're selling into the state, but also if you're buying and bringing into the state. Are you held responsible if somebody buys and ships and you ship there? Are you held responsible or is the buyer held responsible? In some circumstances, both of us. Um, So it just kind of depends on the state and the circumstance. But we, you know, I've got a, a team there in the office that are very diligent on knowing, okay, where is this fish going, knowing the address it's being delivered to, going as far as to ask, okay, you're in a state that has some really odd laws. Uh, where are you going to be using this fish? Um, and, you know, all you can do is assume they're telling the truth. How many fish do you ship a day? Uh, it all depends on the season. I mean, it may be a, a really big day in the spring. We may sell between 15,000 20,000 pounds of fish. Um, How many people does it take to, to load that stuff up? You have to use big equipment? You do. It's easier to use big equipment versus by hand if you're going to do it in bulk. But, you know, we've got a staff of, of 50 people in the spring. They all probably all have to ship overnight, right? No, no. We do still sell wholesale by truck. So we may load an 18-wheeler today that's going to the East Coast and going to drop off at one or more customers. How many days did, will they stay alive? Uh, they'll stay alive. As long as you take care of the water quality, they're going to, they're going to stay alive indefinitely in that truck. But the quicker you get them off, the better, because they will foul the water. So you have to do a oh. water change. If they're going to be on there more than about 48 hours, you want to change the water. But anywhere in the country that we're going to truck to, they're off in 48 hours. Who trucks hours. them? Does it your people we truck We have a contractor them? that does the trucking. He knows how to change the water. Oh, yes. Wow, there's so much to yeah. this. Could anybody get in this business today if they wanted to? Anybody can. There's one check away is what I tell them. You cut us one check and you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, it, um, <laughs> to answer your question, though, anybody can get in it. It's just just like any type of agriculture, the upfront cost is enormous. Uh, mm-hmm. The cost of land, the cost of equipment, trucks, tractors, um, you know, just simply building ponds, the cost is enormous. So buying an existing operation is certainly 
the better thing to do. Um, but uh, so everybody, all these big conglomerates are buying up, in not just your industry, but in every industry. Bill Gates has right. bought for how many? Let me see. 48,000 acres in town. I think he's over 2 million acres just uh, himself alone. I don't think that's all Arkansas. but No, that's Ar- he has 40. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. That's not all in Arkansas. Uh, but in Arkansas, he has almost 50,000 acres in Arkansas. And as a consumer, that that should worry you. That's what I was going to ask as you. Does consumer, that, y'all live in that area. Does that bother you? It does. I don't want one person having a say-so in what I live on whether it be food or fuel or anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, God's, so, God's not making any more land. Mm-mm. You know, but so it does worry me, but there's not much I can do about it. Um, you know, unless a state um, or the feds maybe came up with a rule. I know that uh, on the federal level, they um, have capped what China can buy, you know, in terms of land land or yeah they could own the country or businesses you know they don't want uh, another company having a monopoly mm-hmm. uh, they do don't we, seem to care about that on certain things though they do not it all depends on who's in power and who's because i feel like our whole that's a hole we could dive into <laughs> yeah no right <laughs> you know i feel but, like uh amazon is running a lot of mom and pops out right. of business you know and and um well, you know, like it's, like I'm saying. So, what about your industry? Are people going to come in there and buy you up, and we're going to have two fish fish factories eventually that, one day? That's always a possibility, but I I don't see that in the near future at all. Um, now, food fish would be probably something about somebody would gear towards in terms of buying or owning a majority of it, so you can uh, control price. Um, you know, the world is going to run out of food eventually. Uh, it and is? that's why Bill Gates is doing what he's doing. Yeah, he likes uh, he likes so he can control production. price. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, aquaculture provides a very very healthy source of protein. In other countries of the world, uh, fish is a major source. You don't mm-hmm. see cattle ranches in impoverished countries. You see they're fishing off the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the United States needs to wake up and understand ninety five percent of what they're eating in terms of seafood is imported, and that's scary. If we could simply allow, through laxed regulations, more operations to produce our seafood here, whether it be a fin fish or whether it be shrimp, or you know, it certainly makes sense uh, for our country. Are there strict regulations to make Absolutely. fish? Absolutely. Really? Why would that we, be? To give you just a little bit of perspective, we are a simple bait fish operation in Lone Oak, Arkansas. We ship to over 44, 45 states. But we are regulated because of the state and fed agencies in each one of those. We are regulated by over 60 state and federal agencies that we have to adhere to their policies, their paperwork, uh, their ever-changing rules and laws. We have to keep up with that. Do you have a lawyer on staff? No, but I, you need I, one. we do. <laughs> but, you know, so j- that's just a simple bait fish operation. If I was trying to raise salmon off the coast of Washington – um, in, in a bay, then you're talking about millions of upfront costs just to get the paperwork and the permits uh, before you ever even put a fish in the water. Um, and that doesn't happen in other countries. I don't understand why it would be that way. It's not like the airline business trying to keep other airline companies it's out of the A lot industry. of it's local governments but in the state waters, and then it's federal government in the federal, uh, federal waters. But they, it seems like they would want to grow would think so. You would think so. But they would rather our salmon be imported from China or from uh, Chile, excuse me, um, for whatever reason. Uh, but I sit on the board of the National Aquaculture Association, and we were represented. We represent all of aquaculture, like I say, everything you can imagine that lives in water. Uh, so we have board members from the salmon industry, from the trout industry, oysters, shrimp, lobster. So we have all those represented on our board, and. Um, I think I have it hard until I hear what they deal with. Mm. Do you worry about, uh, I sometimes watch documentaries about uh, overfishing for salmon. And Do you worry about overfishing our oceans? We're not going to overfish ours because they have such strict limits on it. Uh, and that's why farm-raised salmon makes sense. But other countries across the world, you know, salmon don't just live on one coast. They swim across the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, other countries in the world have zero limits. Um, how you started a hatchery, you said, in 1999. Yes. What events led up to you deciding to do that? Well, Dad kind of made the decision simply because we were we were needing to grow, which means more brood stock, 
more fry to spread to grow out. What is fry? I keep reading that all over your website. Fry, <laughs> fry. Fry is just a baby fish. Okay. Um, so, yes, we, we needed more brood stock, more eggs, more fry, which meant more land, more labor, and that was just really not affordable. Um, the hatcheries have been used for years with other species of fish. Um, it had just never been done on a large scale for shiners or for bait fish, uh-huh. uh, but it had been done at universities, so they knew it could work. But the university system versus the farm system is much different. So, and the scale we needed was was going to be pretty uh, large. So anyway, we built the building, plumbed it, all that. That was my first uh, three to four months of How back on you? the farm. I was twenty two. Oh, that is too so, young to give you that much responsibility. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, go ahead. So anyway, that was before you knew him, right, Elizabeth? Yes. So, okay. Well, so she, we his start- dad got him in training. For oh him. yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. So we um, started that, and of course it was rough in the beginning, just getting the numbers, you know, the sheer volume you need was really hard, but it took two to three years to really get it nailed down, and, you know, once it was nailed down, now we're doing, um, you know, 1.3 billion average on the shiners is how many head we produce. We're producing, you know, roughly 100 million goldfish, roughly, uh, um, you know, 75 million black salty, the the fat heads around uh 300 million so, a year a year no actually in about four weeks because there's a season there's a season you See, want to you want to correlate the hatchery with the normal spawning season so that it the fish are ready it's easier you don't have to uh change photo period don't have to change are they staggered are the seasons staggered for each fish or is no. it all like comes out in spring springtime is is the time oh. so so it it's uh it's chaotic I you're mean, like it's, the cpa in april you eat sleep and breathe it for a few weeks and then if everything goes well you then you just got to keep them alive for the next 12 months that's well, what, oh oh you do keep them alive right. for 12 months that's that's mm. the production part of it that everybody doesn't understand even some of our customers is that fish is born all those fish are born the same time and then you've got to have not only the size of fish today available but also 12 months from now of this of the fish that was born the same day why can't so, you stagger those those? You're, you're you controlling could, just this. Be re- it wouldn't it wouldn't be efficient. Um, you would have to get the water temperatures right. You'd have to change mm-hmm. the photo period. You'd have to mm-hmm. keep your hatchery running all year. So it's mm-hmm. easier just to get it, and then by uh, density and feeding, you keep fish small or keep or make fish grow. Five million, million pounds yes. of feed per year. Um, Where so, do you store five million? Pounds well, the of the feed, feed mills are constantly making it, so they deliver weekly. What uh, do you so, feed? What is um, it? The feed it's it's similar to a dog food. Dog food it is a pelletized food that's formulated for those fish. Just like I throw in the fish bowl. No, it's the <laughs> fish bowl feed the flakes. They're they'll keep that goldfish alive, but he's not going to grow. Oh, um, this so, protein based or so, something. Right. So the the protein, the fat, the lipids, all that, the formulation of this feed is specific for those fish. Um, so it'll be different for crappie or bass or catfish, but for these bait fish, it's specific uh, to maximize uh, their growth potential. We're going to talk now and end up the, end the show on how these two people are paying forward their knowledge and their experience and their prosperity. Uh, your family was named Farm Family of the Year in 2019. Talk about that experience. It's great to be recognized, no doubt, but my line that I've I've said over and over is, try to stay humble and you don't do it to be recognized you do it we do what we do because we love it especially farming you know it's not easy but there's a, a thousand farms out there that deserve the exact same recognition um you know we're no different um but you know elizabeth and i we we just do our best we come from amazing families um we were certainly given an advantage so we don't want to take that for granted uh, we want to stay humble we want to not only give back ourselves in the same capacity, if not hopefully more than our the generations before us, but also teach our children why we do what we do. You know, they they often question why are we going to a meeting at night or why are we doing this or that, and and it's the same the same answer. We've got to give back. You're setting examples. Yes. You know, uh, Lone Oak Agricultural Business Academy. Elizabeth, why was that important for you? Well, um, we. Jamie and I chaired a millage campaign right before COVID hit and uh, passed a millage tax to raise $12 million to build a facility, which is a partnership with ASUBB and Baptist Health. And it was important to do it because I sit on the school board in Lone Oak, and my main purpose in being part of the school board is because 
I think public education can be so much better. And Lone Oak has a fantastic public school, and it's important to me to see it succeed. And by providing opportunities for our students that they wouldn't necessarily have in other school districts, it gives Lone Oak schools a heads up. So by developing this agricultural-based academy, which um, teaches um, diesel mechanics, agricultural classes, aquacultural classes, industrial technology, those type classes where these kids can get their hands on and learn about agriculture before they actually enter the workforce. We also are teaching about rural health care, which is so important for Arkansas. There's so many communities around Arkansas that are losing their health care workers, are losing doctors, and that's how they sustain their communities. If you don't have a doctor or even a nurse practitioner to see within your community, then you can't live Why there. Why are they losing them? Just the draw to live in those those types of communities. And, um, you know, a doctor who seeks patients in rural Arkansas does everything. They do everything because there are no local hospitals. You know, they, they become, you know, the, the urgent care in that community. And so, um, you know, and a lot of these nurses are, are going to where the money is. And um, that really bothers me that doctoring is so much about the money so much about specializing and the money and burning and churning through as many people as you can i mean what did happen to the family practitioner um you know i'm not really <coughs> sure if it just became um overwhelming or um jamie's uncle um dr les anderson is our doctor in lone oak and he's been there for over 50 years he's in his late 70s and and he he could retire if he wanted to but he just it's in his heart that he wants to keep going and and not only still treating people, but he's but he's volunteering to uh, to work at our health facility there at the academy and training the next generation of doctors and nurses. Uh, Teachers and nurses are angels to me. They are. Yeah. So um, why is farming important, and why is teaching this trade school important? Well, it's important because agriculture is what sustains Lone Oak. It is the economy of Lone Oak, and so the only way to sustain our education program is to teach these kids that college is not necessarily the path for everyone. In Lone Oak, only about 30% of their kids attend college, and out of that 30%, only half of them actually complete it. So why not gear these kids a direction in the beginning, in the ninth and 10th grade, on, hey, you know, there's opportunities out there. You can go and learn about aquaculture and go work on the farm and make a great living mm-hmm. without coming out of college with all this debt and no degree. Mm-hmm. And so Boy, you, I'm, you're preaching to the choir. I know. Amen. <laughs> there are so many kids out there that are, are you still playing on your, are you still playing, paying on your, Oh sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah see, but there's I'm so 34, many, of course I am. <laughs> so many kids out there that are told college, 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 and you've got to get there and that's the way to be successful. But mm-hmm. there are so many, so many career paths that you can be successful without a college degree if that's from plumbing to farming to diesel mechanic. I mean, a diesel mechanic can those make guys six got, figures. Those guys have got to learn uh, computers to yes. be a diesel mechanic. I mean, to be a mechanic today, you need to you need to have almost an IT degree that you can get at a um, Votex school. Absolutely. And I went to a Votex school, and it was priceless for well, me. Governor, uh, Governor Hutchinson was touring our academy when we opened the doors, and he made the comment, we showed him the nursing and healthcare. We showed him the welding. We showed him the office management, the diesel mechanics. He said, "I thought you, I thought this was ag based." I said, "Well, my company can't get by without any of this. I've got welders. I've got mechanics. I've got office staff. You know, I, we obviously have all have to go to the doctor." Um, I said, "So this is a part of agriculture. The trucks and tractors get it out of the field into the granary. You know, so ag." An ag business needs all of that. It's not just about putting the seed in the ground or the fish in the pond. Uh, it's got to have the whole support system. And Never that, thought about that. And that's part of why this academy is what it is. Um, you know, we rural towns, we lose our workforce almost yeah. immediately. And in the ones that do stay, half of them live on government assistance the rest of their life. I know. And we had a job for them at our high school. Uh, I'm the chairman of our business education cooperative. Mm-hmm. And so we arranged a job for them. Uh, so we had everybody from Caterpillar to Benny Keith to my farm to uh, city P- uh, public works had everybody there to show these kids, hey, these are 
well-paying jobs right down the street uh if you're not going to college don't worry about it come straight to us Mm -hmm. and for the ninth and tenth graders go to that business academy and learn some of these trades that i need along with everybody else in town and go make you know very very good money right at 18 don't wait till you're 21 or 22 with college debt and a degree that nobody cares about do you think they should teach finance in high school absolutely Absolutely. That's a loaded Say question. it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, my biggest problem with employees is they run out of money before Friday comes. Mm-hmm. And they say they have a money problem. Well, no, they have a budget problem. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what percentage of their budget's going to cigarettes, beer, beer lottery tickets, all that. <laughs> they don't they don't realize it's half or more of their budget's going to that. Uh-huh. And, and so they don't see it, but they've never been taught to do a budget. And I think our school system is really failing them. Thank you all so much for everything you do, volunteering at the ballpark, building schools, having job fairs, teaching people how to open up checking accounts. Y'all are great. I just want to give you your gift for both of y'all. It's a desk set for both of your offices. Thank you. Much needed. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's uh, for the listeners. It's a U.S. and Arkansas flag to set on their desk. You need one at the bank. You probably have a big one on the floor, but you need one behind your desk. I need one at the farm. Thank you. Thank y'all very much for joining me. Thank you for having having us. us. You're very welcome. In closing to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that whatever it is will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio show, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, email me, Gray, that's G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen.